Welcome to Painting Corners, your weekly podcast for all things baseball. Now, here are your hosts, Austin Hartsfield and Dave Kwiatkowski. All right, so basically what we're doing here is we're having our own little top prospect show, kind of counting down MLB.com's prospect watch. And we're trying to get you to know the stars of tomorrow today. That way you can be ready when they come up and everything looks good. We're going to start out with number 50. Dave, tell us who number 50 is and who's helping us out with the information. Number 50 on our list is Tuki Toussaint, a right-handed pitcher from the Atlanta Braves. Probably the best curveball in his class, his rookie class, his you know age group class that I can see. It's an old school Barry Zito 12 to, 12 to 6 curve, dropping in about 75, 80 miles an hour. Really throws everybody off because he has a decent fastball as well. Our buddy Chris Willis from Talking Chop is going to tell you more about him now. Tuki Toussaint was another Braves pitcher that uh, made his debut in 2018, and that was a little bit of a surprise because he uh, uh, he kind of came out of nowhere. I don't think a lot of people was expecting to see him in Atlanta last season, but you know there he was pitching in the postseason even. Um, uh, he really turned it on the second half, uh, started to put it all together. There's never been a question about the stuff. The fastball's uh, plus plus pitch, the curveball's out of this world. The changeup continues to get better. The question's always been is whether the command was there to um, you know really put it all together. And, and we saw that last year in the second half. Um, you know, his number, major league numbers are skewed a little bit for one because of one bad outing. It was such a small sample. Uh, but that's a guy that I think will go to spring training, and and like Mike Soroka, he's going to be in competition for one of those that final spot on the, in the Braves rotation, and uh, he may end up starting the year in AAA. But we're going to see a lot of Tuki Toussaint in uh, 2019, and uh, you know he'll have a he can he's in the point where he can have a huge impact on the team uh, going forward. Next on our list, we have a pair of Padres prospects. Say that three times fast. Diego Solaris from East Village Times News is here to tell us more about Luis Patino and Adrian Morajon. Cuban native Morajon signed for a Padres franchise record $11 million the day he was officially declared an international free agent. Uh, he stands at about 6 feet tall, weighs somewhere in that 175 to 180 pound range. A three-pitch arsenal with a fastball, a curveball, and he, he actually throws two change-ups. His fastball typically sits somewhere in the mid-90s, but uh, I have seen him reach 97, 98, and there's potential for that to be an electric pitch at some point further on in, in his development. His two change-ups, he does a knuckle change-up and a standard circle change-up. Uh, both of them are above average pitches according to scouts and I, I agree with that as well he changes his speeds really well with his fastball and change of velocity which is really good for keeping guys off balance and as far as his curveball goes when he first signed with the Padres and even two years ago when we saw him make his professional debut at the minor league level uh, it, it really wasn't a very good pitch he has developed it now he throws it from typically the same arm slot that he does with his fastball so it's not as predictable if he can control that pitch better you have the making of four plus pitches for a guy who is a really highly touted a really highly touted prospect within the Padres organization they view him as a potential ace for them and I agree uh, I think at his absolute worst when he reaches the big leagues he'll be a mid to end back uh, mid to back end starter but if he reaches his full potential you're, you're looking at a guy 
who paired with a, a numerous amounts of talented prospects in this Padre system could be an ace. Uh, the biggest concern for me has been his in, his injury problems. He suffered an injury last year and two years ago, but if, if Adrian Moore holds healthy, he's a really talented player and his future is really exciting for all Padres fans. Coming in at number 48 on MLB.com's top 100 prospects list is Padres right-handed pitcher Luis Patino. Uh, signed out of Colombia in 2016 by the Padres, Patino was kind of a more underrated name in the Padres system uh, prior to this upcoming season in the sense that nobody really knew about him until he broke out in 2018. In his first full season of professional action, he had a 2.16 ERA, 98 strikeouts, and 24 walks. Only gave up one home run in 17 games started with Fort Wayne. Absolutely incredible. Uh, when you look at him from a pitching standpoint, you have a guy who has a really athletic delivery, really funky, kind of like Mackenzie Gore, but he repeats it consistently. He's a really good athlete for a pitcher. Uh, he, he's crazy quick, crazy athletic, and, and that speaks to his delivery and how easily he repeats it. His fastball is electric. You're, you're talking about a guy who sits 96 to 98, has touched 100 before, and certainly has potential to sit up there in the high 90s once he develops and fills out his frame more. Sends it about six foot, 190 pounds, which is really good for a pitcher of that size. Um, his off-speed pitches, his curveball is really good. His slider is his best off-speed pitch. It's a power slider. That's going to be his out pitch going forward. And while his changeup really isn't that elite, uh, just if he can figure out how to change speeds well, he's going to be really good with how fast his fastball is and that power slider. For me, Luis Patino, a lot of scouts say that he could be possibly the best pitcher out of the bunch of all of these Padres prospects. And I don't really necessarily agree with that. But his upside is definitely a frontline starter. Probably going to end up being a back-end guy in the rotation. And even if he flails out as a starter, just with his pure fastball and his pure slider, that fastball-slider combo would be devastating coming in out of the back end of the bullpen. But he definitely has a really bright future ahead of him, and it should, it should be really exciting to see how he develops as a prospect overall. Next up on our list is Nick Mandrigal. He is a second-base prospect for the Chicago White Sox. This kid has crazy contact with a nice grade of a 65. He's got one of the best eyes in the league already, and he's not even there yet, striking out only five times in over 100 plated appearances before seeing that. He went on to Oregon State to help them win a College World Series, so you know he's clutch. Our good friend White Sox Dave is going to help us out and tell you a little bit more. And I'm going to start with Nick Madrigal, who is a second base slash shortstop prospect uh, at number five. Uh, absurd hit tool. He can, uh, he struck out, I think it was five times in like 200 at bats or so, 200 plate appearances last summer in his pro debut. College World Series champion. Um, just hits, hits, and hits. Uh, very pesky out. Not a lot of power, but if he does tap into that, he can be a perennial all star. Um, really looking forward to him. It's up to um, his hit tool and his power development if he will move Mankata over to third, I think. But a really interesting guy, super high floor, we will see on the ceiling. Number 46 on our list, we have Key Brian Hayes, the son of Charlie Hayes, and from what we've heard, probably a future gold glover. Here's Alex Stump from Bucks Dugout here to tell you more about that. Brian Hayes is one of the best position player prospects that's come through the Pirates farm system over the last couple of years, probably the best since Polanco, arguably since Marte or McCutcheon, definitely the best glove since Marte, I mean, this is a guy who's won two uh, minor league gold gloves already, and that's not just for the level that he's playing. That's all third baseman in general. Uh, there's some concerns with the bat. He's probably never going to have a ton of pop, but this is a guy that if he gets to the major leagues could be a legitimate uh, gold glove winning third baseman. Runs the bases well enough, gets on base well enough in the minor leagues so far. It's just the power that seems to be really holding him back right now. 
I think that could be secondary if the defense is good enough. At number 45, we have Sean Murphy of the Oakland A's, one of the better catching prospects in all of baseball, was drafted mostly on his defense as he has an absolute cannon for an arm and takes a lot of pride in blocking some balls behind the plate, but is starting to develop into a power-hitting catcher, which is what most of the catchers are in the MLB today. Sean has a few years to go for coming up, but our good friend Bill from A's Farm is going to tell you all about him. Catcher Sean Murphy was the A's third round pick back in the 2016 draft. The 24-year-old catcher has always been known for his strong defense. And in particular, Murphy has a cannon for an arm. He can really rifle the ball down to second. And opposing runners are often really reluctant to to run off him because of it. Now, uh, Murphy had a hammock bone injury last season, ended up having hammock bone surgery that cost him about a month and a half's worth of playing time last year. Despite that, he was still able to make tremendous offensive strides at the plate for AA Midland. Murphy ended up with a slugging percentage of almost 500 last season. And when you pair that kind of offensive potential with his strong defense, it really makes for a pretty impressive package behind the plate. Now, the A's were fairly reluctant to spend much money on their catching situation this offseason because they know that the Murphy is on the way. The A's head into the season with Nick Hundley, Chris Herman, and Josh Fagley as their top-line catchers. Murphy got into just three games at AAA late last season, and the original ex- expectation was that he might be ready to be the A's uh, starting catcher in the 2020 season. But now it looks like the A's are hoping that after half a season at AAA this year, that Murphy might be ready to take over as the starting catcher in the second half of this season. But uh, one thing's for certain, whenever Murphy takes over behind the plate for the A's, uh, the team is definitely going to have a potential all-star back there behind the plate for years to come. Number 44 on our list is Jordan Alvarez. Cody Pogue from Climbing Tiles Hill and Astro Stats on Twitter is going to help us out with this and see if we can kind of find a position to put this power-hitting outfielder with that stack, with that stacked Astros lineup. The Astros are quite high on Alvarez. Dude's mainly his bat. He put up some impressive power numbers with the Corpus Christi hooks last season, and he'll probably start the season either with Corpus or the Astros AAA affiliate, the Round Rock Express. He has a lot of potential, and the Astros seem to like him. He's also been kind of a little bit of a trade target in various rumors we've heard, but nothing's materialized on that front, obviously, yet. But he has the potential, I think, to change a lineup based on his bat. The question, and the big question with Alvarez, is where is he exactly is he going to play? He's played some left field in the minors, but I've heard he's probably a potential DH down the line. Even his uh, defensive play at first base hasn't really been what you would call awe-inspiring. I think the Astros are trying to determine if he has a long-term position in the field. If not, then we may see him come up more as a DH with occasional starts at first base. But at this point, the Astros are still, I think, betting on his bat to really come along. If he can swing a valuable bat and they put him as a DH, I think the Astros will be fine with that. But, of course, things will change, and it's going to be imperative that the Astros find out exactly where his long-term position or lack thereof will be going forward. Number 43 on our list is a guy that's been moved around a lot in his career. It's Justice Sheffield, now with the Seattle Mariners, coming from the New York Yankees, originally coming from the Cleveland Indians. This kid is a power arm lefty, raised its velocity all the way up to, at times, 97 with a very nice slider. His problem, though, is working on control. 
and he's going to take a while to develop. He's not the biggest guy in the world, just weighing in at six feet, 200, but can really develop with this stuff. Josh from Soto Mojo is going to fill you in on the rest about him. Baseballsavant.mlb.com rates Justice Sheffield's changeup as his weakest pitch, while his slider and fastball are tied. Uh, according to his 2018 zone chart, his biggest home plate weakness appears to be middle left corner, catcher's view, as that area saw his highest batting average against, as well as his highest exit velocity against. Justice Sheffield does need to work on painting those corners. Now, MLB Pipeline has him as the fifth best southpaw, as well as the third best overall prospect. Since 2019 is going to be a rebuild year for the Mariners, Justice may be called up fairly soon to the majors. Multiple sources label him as a potential three-hole starter, since Marco Gonzalez will likely be the, the new Mariners ace. Justice Sheffield lands, where he lands in this year's rotation highly depends on newest phenom Yusei Kikuchi and whether or not manager Scott Service wants to give Felix Hernandez another try maybe as the second hole starter. You're going to hear from Bill a couple times more in this countdown. Bill from A's Farm is going to tell us more about the power left-handed pitcher A.J. Puck and his future after coming off a Tommy John surgery this year. Bill goes into a pretty good depth about this kid, and this is a guy that I really enjoyed watching while he's healthy. So here he is. Left-hander A.J. Puck was the A's top pick in the 2016 draft. And Baseball America currently ranks him as the number two left-handed pitching prospect in the game behind Jesus Lazardo. Now, unfortunately, the 23-year-old had to have Tommy John surgery last spring, which set back his uh, development quite a bit. But uh, before Puck was sidelined, his fastball was clocked as high as 99 miles an hour, and he pairs that with an excellent slider. Uh, now, I just spoke to Puck at the end of January, and he told me that ever since he had the Tommy John surgery, he's been working out five days a week at the A's training complex in Arizona. And at the time, he said he was really looking forward to throwing off the mound for the first time in Arizona this February. That's the first time he was expecting uh, to get back on the mound since the surgery. Since then, he has thrown in Arizona, and it's most likely that he'll just be throwing bullpen sessions this spring. He won't probably be back in competitive games, most likely till this summer, probably sometime in June, with, once the Arizona League gets started is when Puck will get back into competitive action. And if all goes well and he's healthy, there's no setbacks. And after getting a, a, a little time in in Arizona, the A's are most likely to assign him to Stockton uh, in the California League, which is just down the road from Oakland. And it gives the A's training staff a chance to keep a, a close eye on Puck as he's making his way back and make sure he's healthy. If everything goes well there uh, in Stockton, then they can decide where to assign him for the rest of the season. But likely he's not going to be back in competitive action until until June. I know there's a lot of A's fans who are hoping to see Puck in the major leagues this year, but the A's are not eager to rush their prized prospect back into action. They really want to make sure he's healthy first. Puck last pitched in 2017 when he split the season between high A Stockton and double A Midland. And he was he was an absolute strikeout machine. Puck averaged uh, over 13 strikeouts per nine innings in the 2017 season before going down uh, with the injury last year. 
the puck hasn't appeared in AAA yet, so it's most likely that he'll be making his major league debut uh, sometime uh, during the 2020 season. And uh, once he does, the A's, the A's could end up the 2020 season with three talented lefties atop their rotation in Sean Manaya, Jesus Lazardo, and A.J. Puck. At number 41, Corey Christen is going to tell us about the future of the Cleveland Indians rotation post this super trio of pitchers, even four pitchers. I mean, if you want to throw Bieber in there too, as young as he is, we could even say five. But Tristan McKenzie is the future for the Cleveland Indians. He is their prized prospect. And Corey Christen, again, will tell us more from Indians Baseball Insider. McKenzie is every bit. He's listed 6'5". I might put him at 6'8". He's a tall dude. And you guys have watched Chris Sale. You know what happens when tall dudes take the mound with his stature. It's hard to see the ball. It's hard to hit the ball. It's hard to catch the ball, uh, you know, coming off of his hands. And you're standing in the batter's box. You know, your eye gets a little mixed up. Tristan McKenzie has a good fastball, a good curveball, a nice changeup. He has good control on all of his pitches. He mows batters down with strikeouts. Um, I believe it was 2017. He he was the minor league leader in strikeouts. And then he's had some injury issues last year. Um, but he, he's been nothing but great in the Indian system and one of the top right-handed pitching prospects in all of baseball. Um I mean, he throws a tight, tight pitch. And when you have a guy that's that tall and has that amount of reach and he just throws in a, such a small window, it's hard to hit no matter what. He he was in double-A last year. I don't know. I think he would start in double-A again just because he missed part of last season. Um, he only started 16 games last year. I would expect him, if, if everything works out correctly, he'll start about 10 to 15 in Akron and double-A and then move up to AAA. He's only 21, so they can take some time with him. And the ETA says this year, so I'm curious to see if they – that's what MLB Pipeline says at least. Um, if they stick to that kind of ETA or if it's actually 2020. But, man, he just – you know, he doesn't throw fire at you. He throws low 90s, but, man, his command is just up there. He knows where to put the ball, and he knows how to put it where he needs to. Another exciting player from the top 50 list is coming at number 40, Luis Robert, an outfielder of the Chicago White Sox. The White Sox love their prospects. They love Cuban prospects. One of the best Cuban prospects since Yoan Moncada, who was also on that team. An 18-year-old, in, when he was 18 in Cuba, he hit 400. He's 21 years old now, a big body on him, 6'3", only 185 pounds. He's definitely going to fill out a little bit. He has a Great arm. He can hit for power. Very overall solid baseball player. White Sox Dave is going to tell you more about it now. Next one is Luis Robert. This dude is a freak of nature physically. I've said this before. If he were playing, uh, if he were American, he'd be playing wide receiver at like Alabama or something. Uh, crazy power, crazy speed, uh, sideline to sideline, so to speak. Um, speed from the center field position. Very good arm. Will tap into his power. He's a freak of nature, like I said, and once he stays healthy for a full season, it's going to be off to the races for him. Coming in at number 35 on our prospects list is Jesus Sanchez from Tampa Bay. He is a power-hitting outfielder who is above average at defense and has a cannon for an arm. Does that sound like somebody from Tampa Bay? You betcha, because that's what they go for. 
This guy looks like a middle of the lineup type of player. He's done nothing but hit since he was signed out of the Dominican Republic. Something Tampa loves to do is sign those international slot money guys. And he is cruising along through double A right now. Our buddy Ryland Styles from Rays Colored Glass is going to tell you more about him. Jesus Sanchez, the 21-year-old from the Dominican Republic. He's a left-handed hitter that throws right-handed in the outfield at right field. He's going to be something special to watch because his average has dipped to 282. That's his lowest batting average. And for a right fielder, that's incredible. He's had he's had 37 career home runs. Not too much power since he's been playing since 2015 in the minor leagues. But he has been able to produce 241 RBIs, which has been critical for him in the second to leadoff spot somewhere in there in all of these minor league lineups. So to be able to, be able to create eight that many runs speaks a lot to his situational hitting and also the race ability in the minor leagues to get on base for him. He is just some, someone to watch going forward in that crowded outfield, though, with Tommy Pham, Kevin Kiermeyer, and Austin Meadows. It's going to be hard to kind of find a, a slot for him to play in the next few years, so maybe he'll end up on the trade block and be an asset the Rays can use to go get someone more for a playoff push. Next up on our list is Austin Riley, a third-base prospect for the Atlanta Braves. Austin Riley's in a very good position because he's waiting under the ageless Josh Donaldson, who at any time can be cut and or moved, and it's a good guy to look up to. Austin Riley is a plus third base defender who is upside mostly defensively, but he has some pop as well with a nice 60 power grade. They're really hoping he can turn into a John Donaldson type, playing very good defense, but having that pop when he was in his prime like, like Josh did. To tell you more about that is Chris Willis. Depending on where you look, uh, Austin Riley's either the number one or number two prospect left in the Braves farm system. Uh, he's come a long way since being drafted in 2015. Uh, he's shown an uncanny uh, ability to make adjustments at the plate. Um, he's gotten better as he's advanced through the minor league system. He's worked really hard on his body. Um, you know, uh, there were some concerns defensively early on, but uh, he's turned himself into an average to above average uh, defensive third baseman. There's still some swing and miss uh, concerns there, but you're talking about a guy with real power potential that could translate to the major leagues. Um, you know, I, I really think we would have saw him in 2018 if he hadn't had that knee injury that sidelined him for about a month. But, uh, um, you know, we could see him definitely in 2019, even with Josh Donaldson already on this Braves roster. Next on our list is a future gold glove outfielder in Christian Pache, an outfield prospect for the Atlanta Braves. This guy is a Liriano and Bradley Jr. in the making with ridiculous running arm and fielding grades at 70 plus this guy is everything to be in one of the best defensive outfielders in the mlb when he gets up there hopefully he can put the hitting together the braves aren't going to be looking for much pop out of him but if he can get on base and get a high obp he'll make it a long way chris willis is going to pick up on more about him on a prospect that he's really into there's a lot of debate among braves fans about who is the best uh outfield prospect in the organization and it's either drew waters or christian pache pache is the one that's gotten a lot of the buzz early as uh, drew waters is just kind of coming on the scene but you know i i think it's important pache doesn't get lost in the shuffle either you're talking about a guy that's probably major league ready to play defense right now there's still some questions with the bat uh he flashed a little bit of that power potential last year uh but you know that's still the that's still the area he needs to improve on the most uh, started the year at high, uh, hit well there, moved up to double A. I figure that's where he starts back. Uh, but this is another guy that, you know, I'm really excited to see in spring training. 
Um, you know, we could be talking about him and Waters both around 2020, um, you know, as, as possibly moving into, uh, you know, into Atlanta's outfield at some point. Um, yeah, but the defense is out of the world, out of this world. And as a physical specimen, he, he is really impressive. The speed is legit. Uh, he needs to improve his uh, decision-making on the base pass. So he's not, he's not, even with all that speed, he's not, he's not the real stolen base threat. Uh, he struggled a little bit there actually, but plays a shallow center field and it's just really uh really smooth out there i mean the name andrew jones always comes up when people talk about pache and his defense and i mean that's some that's some great company to be in next up of the los angeles dodgers is kyber ruiz alan yamashiki from dodger blue is going to tell us more about the absolute stud behind the plate that is ruiz So Kybert Ruiz is the consensus number one prospect on the Dodgers. He's top 30 in pretty much every prospect ranking site. Baseball America 20th, Prospectus 31st, ESPN 27th, Fangraphs 15th. I mean, it goes on and on. And that's just based on his advanced skills and performance at such a young age. It was his age 19 and 20 season in 2018, and he spent the entire year at double a and his results both offensively and defensively were great he's relatively unathletic which is probably going to be his one downside both offensively and defensively but overall in defense he's a great receiver so he's probably going to be a fantastic framer whenever those metrics come out when he makes it up there his arm accuracy is fantastic and overall defensively he's got pretty much the entire package and offensively he has fantastic back control so he struck out just eight percent of the time against pitchers that are significantly older than him and more advanced so the real way that he could improve there is eventually being more selective waiting for a pitch that he can really drive for power as opposed to making contact with everything as of right now he's mainly a gap power kind of hitter so high average low overall power and it just depends on the type of batter him and the organization want him to be eventually we talk about these prospects like you know we wait for guys to come up we hear them once they become to a certain level we hear their names all the time in trade packages Alex Verdugo is the biggest highlight of that because you see a guy, whether it's you know being rumored in a U Darvish trade that wound up being Willie Calhoun, whether it's being rumored in all these Indians pitchers trades, Alex Verdugo has been nothing but great for this Dodger organization, and the Dodger organization to this point has been very loyal, and they're now being rewarded. So Alan Yamasugi is going to tell you more about this stud outfielder that LA has found themselves with. Alex Verdugo is the number two consensus prospect in the Dodgers organization. Like Ruiz, he's a top 40 overall prospect by pretty much every site. He's 35th in Baseball America, 19th in Baseball Prospectus, 37th in ESPN, 117 in Fangraphs. The idea behind that is his supposed makeup and off-the-field concerns. We don't know enough about that to say much but i'm assuming the other rankings just go off of skill tools performance in regards to all of those verdugo has done everything he can and needs to do to make it to the majors 
He's 22. He spent last year in AAA. He hit 330, struck out only 12% of the time, walked 9%. He's a very advanced hitter. He has a huge arm that fits well in right field, which is probably his ultimate position. The concern there is that he might not have very much power. So we'll see where that goes. He probably has the ability to unlock more power. He just hasn't as of right now, which is fair. He is young, and his main skill is his contact. So from there, they'll figure out what to do with him. He just might not have a huge opportunity on on the actual MLB roster this year with Ballinger and Peterson also being left-handed outfielders. So we'll see how that shakes out. This is one of those clips, man, that I wish I would have put out before the season started. James Clark from East Village Times tells us about the domination. That is Chris Paddock. He tried to tell us how good he was going to be, how legendary that this fastball and this changeup and the combination and the pitch selection was going to be. And now we get to reward it. Now on Painting Corners, now we have Paddock Day. So let's see what somebody who knows Chris Paddock better than just about anybody has to say about it. First off, his changeup is is already major league quality. It's, it would already be... All I've heard uh, is it's legendary. Yeah, it would it would probably be a top five, top ten changeup in all of baseball right now at this point, just in his changeup alone. Uh, his velocity has, has increased slowly uh, after the injury. He's up to mid-90s now. And we all know that if you can spot a fastball and arm that with a changeup, you're you're pretty much unhittable. And then you look at his innings pitched last season. He had 90 innings pitched last season, and he walked eight batters. That's eight batters. Amazing. And he struck out 120 in that time. So his numbers are Bugs Bunny like. There's a lot to like with him. There's a lot of. I've spoke to him briefly. Haven't really had the opportunity to really talk to him like I like I wish. I, I missed him in like Elsinore a couple times that I had an opportunity to sit down with him. But from what I've gathered and what I've heard, he's got that that it factor, that that Franmil Reyes factor that we talked about. The factor that he wants to be better than his his counterparts. He wants to be the best ever. He has that type of mentality, and that's what you want to see from a young pitcher. He's ace type of pitcher. He ha- he's an, it's it's hard to throw that label out there, but he has ace type of ability. Benjamin Hockman is going to talk to us about Alex Reyes. Alex Reyes is another one of those guys, you know, that we talked about. You have to be patient with when it comes to development. Uh, you know, caught in limbo between whether he's going to be a starter or not. But like I said, Benjamin Hockman, St. Louis Post Dispatch. Here we go. Yeah, it's funny because when we had our our pre podcast meeting and you were saying. Uh, I, you wanted me to list five starters and then three key relievers. I The first thing that came to my mind was like, where or how do I talk about Alex Reyes? Because right now he's he's not slated to be one of the, the, the five starters. We'll see what happens. And he's not slated to be a closer or anything like that. They're, they're going to have to see what he can do. And uh, they, they, we will all watch together, the, uh, the scouts, the executives, his teammates, and, and the media – uh, to see what Alex can do uh, during spring. But um, the optimist says, and I, I say that a lot about the Cardinals, a lot of things have to go right, but if, if optimism is achieved, uh, this could be a pretty good team because we're talking about a guy in Alex Reyes that used to be the number one pitching prospect in all of baseball, and he's still young. And 
of course, they're really high on him. So who knows? I mean, they, they expect him to pitch many, many innings for St. Louis this year, uh, probably as a starting pitcher. But I don't know if that means he's in the, uh, the late March rotation. Um, a lot will have to be determined. You've been hearing a lot of this voice lately. This is Chris Willis of Talking Chop to talk to us more about another, another one of these Braves arm. This one being Ian Anderson. So here's Chris Willis to tell you everything unique about this this pitcher. Braves had a number of uh, highly touted arms reach the major league level in 2018. And uh, uh, I think Ian Anderson could be one of those guys that moves fast in 2019. Uh, Anderson's starting to move up a lot of prospect lists around the, uh, around the internet. And uh, he had a, he's coming off a great 2018. This guy's sitting there with mid, mid-90s fastball, a great curveball, and a changeup that continues to get better. You know, he seems like he gets lost in the shuffle a little bit with some of these other big-name guys like Mike Soroka and Kyle Wright, but uh, I, I think Anderson's going to be one of these, one of them that moves really fast and is going to turn a lot of heads if, if he can put together another healthy and productive season. Uh, we may not see him in 2019 just because the Braves have a ton of pitching depth, but, uh, you know, I think he's certainly in the mix come 2020 and, uh, you know, really excited to see what he can do this season. Coming up next is one of the most interesting pitching prospects in all of Major League Baseball, Hunter Green of the Cincinnati Reds. One of the only guys in, in the league that has a legit 80 fastball grade. He can get the ball up to a shocking 102 miles an hour on a consistent basis, something that Chapman and Reyes have, on, have only been the one to master. His big problem is injuries and developing that second pitch. Coming off Tommy John surgery, he's going to be a slow rehab type player. But our good buddy Chris Saunders is going to be able to take you through his development and see if he can make it in the show. Green's fastball is around 80 in terms of 20 to 80 scale. His slider's at a 55, changeup's 50, control 55, overall of 60. This is a guy who was drafted number two overall by the Reds in 2017, got a $7.23 million contract because of that. And while he does have a blazing fastball, which is 97 to 101 miles per hour. The delivery has a tendency to get a little bit unorthodox. The fastball is a little bit too straight, and he got hit pretty hard in the minor leagues. I mean, in single A, he had a 4.48 ERA, and at one point his ERA was in the sevens before he lowered it down, and then he eventually was out with a UCL sprain. He should be good to go, but he's got to work on his secondary stuff if he wants to continue on being a starting pitcher. You got to remember, he's still young. We are sitting at number 30 on the list, I believe, when we're talking about Kyle Wright. I mean, this is another one of those Atlanta arms that Chris Willis is going to happily educate you on. A good example of the Braves' pitching depth in the minors is, uh, I think, is Kyle Wright because uh, here's a guy that was drafted fifth in 2017, could have very well went as the number one pick. Uh, and he's kind of overlooked, I think, a little bit because uh, the Braves have so many other pitching prospects like Tuki Toussaint and uh, Mike Soroka and, uh, and some Ian Anderson. So, you know, I don't think Wright gets a whole lot of attention, and uh, maybe that's a good thing for him. I'm not sure. Uh, he uh, struggled a little bit in Double A last year. Uh, turned it on late. Uh, looked really good at a short stint in Triple A. I think he'll start the season back there. But he's the total package. He, he's got the poise. He's got the experience after throwing at Vanderbilt. Good fastball, good breaking ball. Um, change is still developing. So, 
you know, this is a guy I think we'll see a, a good bit of in 2019, whether that's as a starter or out of the bullpen. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how they use him. But I think once he's at the major league level, then, uh, you know, he's going to be there to stay and he, he can make a solid impact. Coming up next are two very interesting prospects for one of my favorite teams to watch for prospects. Tampa Bay Rays coming in next is Brendan McKay. Brendan McKay told everybody his pro day before getting drafted. Basically, he wants to be Otani 2.0, the American version of him. He wants to be a legitimate two-way player. And, of course, the Rays took a chance on him, signing him to a $7 million bonus. This kid has a solid fastball but loves to throw junk, which is just up the Rays' alley. But he's a hitter, a great 55-hit grade for power and for contact. He can be molded into multiple different things, primarily going to be used as a DH, but could be a very serviceable DH and starting pitcher. Up next, one of the better prospects for the Tempe Rays again, Brent Honeywell, right-handed pitcher. Take everything with a grain of salt. He's been recovering from Tommy John surgery, but this kid is legit. Another hard-throwing right-handed pitcher out of Tampa Bay. You've heard this before, but the interesting about him, ton of pitches, including a very, very good screwball, which you haven't seen since Dice Matthew He's going to learn how to throw some junk, and he's going to be a very effective pitcher out down there in Tampa Bay. A guy that could be a dominant starter, but also could move in and be a very interesting closer or opener in today's MLB. Our guy Ryland Stiles is going to tell you more about both of those amazing prospects. Brandon McKay is a 23-year-old that can do it from the plate and also from the mound. He's going to play DH now. They just shut him down three days ago from playing in the field, so he was going to play first base and pitch, but now if he's going to play uh, at the plate, he's going to do it from the DH spot. Kind of like Shohei Otani does. He rarely plays in the field. Uh, really sticks in that DH role and pitcher's role. On the mound, this guy is something special. At the plate, he's no schlep either. He's always hit around a round league average, has a little bit of pop, not too much, and he's you know a really good player just slapping singles and stuff the other way, which is going to be something that's really good for you if you, can, if you can do both and get hitting and pitching out of the way. On the mound, though, this is where he really is excitable. He has had a sub-2 ERA his entire career up until last year where he had a 2.41. He is awesome to watch throw it from the hill. We'll see when he gets up to the big leagues. I'd say it's going to be another year, maybe two, but it shouldn't be much longer than that. This kid's going to be something. Again, the batting average against last year in his quote-unquote worst season was below 200. Well, Brent Honeywell is a... 23-year-old pitcher who had Tommy John surgery right before spring training games happened about a week after he reported to pitchers and catchers last year. He should be ready to go in 2019. I think that he'll be in the big leagues before Memorial Day if everything goes right with his rehab and, and he continues to progress throughout the spring. This guy is who every Rays fan is just salivating for and just cannot wait to see. He's kind of like like the new Chris Archer in a sense of just the anticipation is is just mounting on him. The highest ERA he's ever had is a 3.49, and that was in 2017. Other than that, he's been way down sub three, uh, maybe a, you know just sub three, really good ERA. His highest batting average against has been 255 in that 2017 season. It's incredible what this guy's been able to do throughout the minor league system. I think if he didn't have Tommy John surgery last year, he would have been in the big leagues in 2018. And if he can come in this year and join that raise rotation, they might be the best in baseball. Coming up next, we're going to continue the names of amazing baseball players in the state of Florida. We have Sicko Sanchez with Miami Marlins. This kid, a very fringe player, but man, does he have a, a 
Cannon throwing a 75 grade fastball. A little bit of injury trouble, but he's moving up through the ranks. Should be up in a couple years. Our good friend Lewis down there in Miami is going to tell you more about him because he's excited as well. Sixo Sanchez was acquired in the JT Romito trade from the Phillies. He's easily Miami's top prospect and is the best prospect they've had since Jose Fernandez and Christian Yelich were in the Marlins farm system. With Sixto, you're talking about a guy who hits upper 90s with run and can hit 100 miles per hour with his heater. His changeup and breaking ball are both pretty good, and evaluators think both can be above average to plus strikeout pitches as he gets more innings under his belt. With a guy like this, you'd think the catch is his control, but he's actually pretty advanced there, especially for a 20-year-old. There really isn't much reliever risk with Sixto. He will be a starting pitcher. The concern with Sixto, and most likely the reason the Marlins were able to get him, is whether he can stay healthy or not. At 5'11", durability is not a given, especially since he throws so hard. Some are skeptical he can go 200 innings in a year, but his medicals checked out and the Marlins felt his profile was worth the gamble. He'll start the year in AA Jacksonville, and I think if he can have a full healthy season in 2019, he'll be ready to compete for a spot in Miami's Major League rotation in a year. One of the few players that we've talked about thus far when we're talking about prospects that has actually come up already. Uh, we're at number 26. We're talking about the San Diego Padres catcher Francisco Mejia, a guy that I'm very high on, uh, that you know is a spectacular hitter. He's a switch hitting catcher, which is hard to find nowadays. And you know this is a guy that's splitting time currently with Austin Hedges, and if he could ever figure out how to call a baseball game, he could be the San Diego catcher for the next 10 years. So here's James Clark from East Village Times to let, tell you more about this young catcher. Switch hitting catcher Francisco Mejia was acquired late last season by the San Diego Padres uh, right before the trade deadline from the Cleveland Indians for Brad Hand in uh, pretty much a surprising move uh, throughout Major League Baseball. Uh, the Padres have a pretty adequate catching depth in their in their in their minor league system, and acquiring Francisco Mejia was seemed strange. Uh, he's a switch hitter. Uh, small in stature, only 23 though. Uh, tremendous, tremendous bat, tremendous bat potential. Uh, I think he's probably a Victor Martinez type of comp, maybe a little, little less on the uh, on the power than Martinez. He's a little smaller than than Martinez was. Uh, defensively, there's some concerns. Although he does have probably one of the best arms in all of the game behind the plate, uh, there's some framing issues. There's also some play, uh, pitch calling issues that need to be worked out. Uh, again, he's a smaller size target for pitchers, which is a little bit of a concern as well. Uh, overall, there's a high ceiling with this young man. Again, only 23 years of age, switch hitter. Uh, there's a chance that he could move to the outfield if there's talks of that, that that I don't know if that's necessarily going to happen. Uh, I would think that his value would go down as a everyday left fielder compared to that as a catcher. Uh, we'll have to see what the Padres do. His name has been rumored in a couple of deals here and there, so we'll have to see what the Padres do. But Francisco Mia uh, Mejia is a definite uh, viable prospect for the San Diego Padres. Coming up next year is Carter Kierboom. A very interesting shortstop prospect for the Washington Nationals. This kid is a hitter. He has great contact, but also some wonderful power to go with it. Batting just about 380 right now in the minors. He's stuck behind Trey Turner, but with a guy like this who can hit at every level that he's ever been at, and he can play the field, 
They're going to find a spot for him, whether it's to his left or his right. Carter Kirkham should be coming up in the next year or two. To tell you more about Carter, our good buddy Jesse Doherty is going to inform you more. He's being developed into a second baseman this offseason. He played it in the Arizona Fall League. He's probably going to play it a bit in the minors. I think they're going to keep him at shortstop a good amount of the time as well. I think just the skills you develop there, it's a little more of a diverse position when it comes to fielding. And, and uh, he also has a pretty big history of playing third base in high school. So I think depending on what happened with Anthony Rendon, obviously the Nats want to work that out and we can talk about it. But I think he's the kind of guy who could play any of those three spots in the future. Right now it's looking like second with the Dozier one-year deal. And he can get a, he can get a shot there, especially with him likely coming up as a September call-up, maybe earlier if there are injuries this season. But uh, he's definitely being slotted at second right now. My favorite Braves prospect, and it's not even close. Eh, it might be a little close. I do love me some Christian Pache, but Mike Soroka. I mean, this guy, I don't even think we can call him a prospect anymore with the amount of time that he has at this point. But this is my favorite pitcher in that entire system. It's my favorite pitcher outside of somebody in the like top 20 that I'm definitely going to talk about and definitely going to gush about later. Mike Soroka can do it all. I mean... If this guy can ever get the injury situation figured out, he's going to be an ace. And if a couple of these Braves pan out, I mean, this could wind up being like the 90s all over again. I mean, you have young bats, you have young arms, and Mike Soroka is going to be a huge part of that. And Chris Willis from Talking Chop is going to let you know how that goes. You know, Mike Soroka is another guy uh, that, you know we've seen as a prospect for the last few years. And the, the crazy thing is he wouldn't even still be prospect eligible if not for the shoulder injury that limited him just five starts in the major leagues in 2018. Uh, this is a guy with a lot of poise. Um, he's one of my favorites. I saw him a good bit at Rome. Uh, but the command is what jumps out at you. He's got a, a good fastball. Uh, a breaking ball that's continuing to get better and a changeup as well. And he seemed to put all of that together last year. Um, you know, he, this is a guy I expect to compete for a, a, the fifth spot in the Braves rotation at spring training. Uh, it just comes down to uh, whether that shoulder's healthy or not. And I think that's uh, dinged him a little bit on some of these prospect lists. But again, it's important to remember uh, if he hadn't gotten hurt, he wouldn't even have been prospect eligible because he probably would have played a big part down the stretch and, uh, you know, possibly even been a, a you know, a starter in the uh, postseason last year. So really excited about Mike Soroka's prospects. Um, the big question is, is if the shoulder's right, uh, those are scary always. But if, if he's there, I think he's going to be a big part of this Braves team in 2019. Another guy that's a prospect, but technically not really a prospect anymore, Luis Urias was finally called up to San Diego after absolutely murdering the baseball in AAA. With a 70 hit power, he's been batting over 300, struggled in his major league debut, only collecting a, a handful of hits, was sent back down, but he probably won't be down for long. This guy's an absolute beast when it comes to hitting and just needs to really work on his, on his control at the plate. Our friends over at Padres on the Farm are going to dive a little bit more into deeper in his development. Thanks, guys. This is Donovan from Friars on the Farm. Luis Urias, MLB Pipeline's number two second baseman and 23rd overall, has a hit tool that some scouts say can challenge for a batting title. He has elite plate discipline and pitch recognition. He had more walks than strikeouts in every level in the minors till he got to AAA, putting him in the leadoff spot or in the two-hole in the lineup. There isn't much power there, but with his ability to barrel up the baseball and compact swing, he could run into 10 or more home runs and perhaps more as he fills out. He turns 22 this June. He's an above-average defender that spent significant time at short in AA and in the Arizona Fall League, and scouts loved him there, but he's going to be turning two with Fernando Tatis Jr. at short while he holds down second base, the Padres hope for years to come. But the Padres thought so well of him at short 
that he's going to probably be the opening day starter there until Tatis comes up after about a month of seasoning in AAA. Overall, he's a bat first second base and that'll hit for average and have a high on base once he gets used to major league pitching. Next up, we have the heir to Buster Posey, Joey Bart. Joey Bart is phenomenal behind the plate, and it wouldn't honestly surprise me if he sees major league time sometime within the next two years. I mean, this is a kid out of Georgia Tech that's done everything possible to grow his draft stock before he was drafted second overall by the Giants. And now he's getting to the point to where he's almost ready to fill Buster Posey's shoes. So now Daniel Sperry from around the Foghorn is going to tell you all you need to know about this future superstar catch. He was already calling games at Georgia Tech. Um, you know, so he doesn't have to learn that at the minor league level. He understands how to call games. Um, it was interesting. I had a talk with another Giants draft pick. Uh, I did an interview with him um, last year, kind of in the fall. And he actually played uh, with Joey Bart in uh, the Cape Cod League. And I asked him, I was like, what's it like, you know, you throw to your guy that you throw to, have thrown to for the last four years, and then you throw to Joey Bart. Um, you did it in Cape Cod League. You did it in, uh, you know, you've done it now for Salem Kaiser. Um, and he said it, he did not, like, he almost, like, interrupted me to, like, say how good it feels as a pitcher to throw to Joey Bart because defensively he just gets everything um he's got you he's got runners all the time because his arm is really strong um and his ability to call the game he said he's a really good receiver of the ball um he makes it easy for he said he felt it makes it easier on him to throw the ball joey you know everyone likes to talk about the power um and you know what they've seen and oh wow you know this is the best you know one of the best all-around catching prospects we've seen in a really long time and you know, the defensive aspect of it is is so high up that I think, you know, it's hard. To, like, I wouldn't consider him yet for 2019. Um, but if, I mean, if he shoots through the minor leagues, there's even, I mean, there's an easy um, talk of him being in at 2020. Um, you know, the Giants, if they feel they're ready to go, they'll move him fast. Up next is another hard-throwing pitcher, Dylan Cease with the Chicago White Sox. A 70-grade fastball and a guy that, can absolutely hammer it down and pick his spots. A big deal with him is his arm. He was talked about having Tommy John surgery in the past, has been very good with this curveball this year as well. Our good friend, White Sox Dave from Barstool Sports, is going to dive a little bit deeper on this up-and-coming prospect. Right-handed pitching prospect traded from the Cubs organization for Jose Quintana to the White Sox, and he has an explosive fastball. Touches 100 miles per hour, power curveball, very good changeup uh, starting this year. It finally developed into a plus third pitch, and his command was really good this year too, so he's going to start to fly through the system. Should be a top-of-the-order arm. Uh, at best, the number one and ace. At worst, the number two or three. It's time to talk about Keston Hira, the future superstar second baseman for the Milwaukee Brewers. He is finally called up. He is finally producing. Just hit his first major, hit his first major league hit in his first at-bat. You know, this is a guy that's going to be a part of the system for a very long time. And if you listen to the guy we're about to talk to, Robert Murray, it doesn't sound like he's going anywhere. So Brewers fans, enjoy your time with Keston Hira. But his ability as a player is unique in the fact that his hitting is extremely well advanced uh, for a player of his age. And I, I mentioned yesterday in a different radio spot that I had a rival scouting director tell me that in all the years he's been watching players at the double A level, he's never seen a hitter at the um, at the level or the caliber of Keston here at that level. And he was just blown away by his hitting. And then the only question mark with him 
is his defense. And he really, there's some people that believe that he's not going to be a second baseman in the future. There's some people that believe that his future actually could be in the outfield or even as a designated hitter. Um, but for the Brewers, I would imagine at this point, it would end up being at second base considering the need. But when Ryan Braun eventually comes off the books after the 2020 season, I believe, I mean, there could be an option there to move him to the outfield. But I think his his future in Milwaukee, if he stays, um, will be at second base. And and going off of the point I just mentioned, I do not believe he's going to be a trade piece. I, I do not see any scenario in which the Brewers trade Keston Hero. Very rarely do you make the top 20 and not have talent. And we cannot say the same for Mitch Keller. Mitch Keller is extremely talented. And Alex Stump from Bucks Dugout is going to tell you more you need to know about this future piece of the rotation for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Mitch Keller falls into the trend the Pirates have had their uh, big profile arms the last couple of years. A high school arm drafted, a great fastball, solid curveball, uh, very similar to uh, Jamison Tyon and uh, Tyler Glass now in a lot of ways. Uh, the changeup is still a concern. He has to develop that, and base runners have had a good job reading him up because he hasn't had a whole lot of time to deal with base runners in the minor leagues. That's something that he's not had a ton of experience with. He didn't go to college. He didn't you know, put too many runners on base in the lower levels of the minor leagues, so runners are really taking care of him or taking cleaning up against him. Uh, Pirates signed a minor league catcher this offseason named Steve Barron. has a reputation of being good with helping. Uh, young pitchers control the running game more. If he could do that, develop the changeup a little more, I think this guy could be a high-end number two starter, maybe even a borderline ace of the majors one day. One of our first guests, and actually one of the guys that we consider to be one of our higher-end guests, maybe the most popular guest that we've ever had outside of probably guys like Simborski. White Sox Dave from Barstool Sports is here to tell us more about the flame-throwing Michael Kopech, who of course was in the Chris Sale trade along with guys like Basabe and Yohan Mankata. Kopech has gone through Tommy John surgery. You're going to hear White Sox Dave say something about that, but here's Dave Williams with his view on Michael Kopech. I just talked to Kopech today. Coming back from Tommy John surgery, has probably the best fastball in minor league baseball. One of the best fastballs in the world if you um, are talking about major league baseball too. Power slider, really good changeup, and his command also improved. He could be a Cy Young candidate should he develop and uh, stay healthy after his Tommy John. The pretty much unanimous first overall pick last year is next, and Casey Mize has already found his way into the top 20, and now even into the top 10, hopping the next pitcher that we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. But Casey Mize is here, and we're going to talk to Brandon Day about, you know, what makes Casey Mize so good, what made him the first overall pick, and kind of how overall how Tiger fans are feeling about this move, about this pick so far, basically almost a full calendar year after he was selected. So again, here's Brandon Day from Bless You Boys, SB Nation Tigers Detroit. Let's see what he has to say. In Detroit, generally people have been, you know, pretty happy with with the Casey Mize selection. Um, you know, when they took him number one overall in twenty in the twenty eighteen draft, you know, we were all kind of hoping for, you know, that star position player, um, you know, that bat that we could we could kind of start to build around. But um, the Tigers have definitely been a, you know, a best player available type team. And Casey Mize, you know, t- struck just about everyone as the best player available. And, you know, there's a lot to like. Um, one of the more interesting things about Casey Mize is that he's come in the spring and actually already kind of like tweaked his breaking ball. Um, you know, he, he basically sits, you know, 94, 95, can maybe top out 96, 97 with the fastball. Pretty good life on it. Um, 
but it's basically that fastball and the splitter. Um, and the splitter is kind of the, the standout pitch. I think it kind of it kind of keeps winning like best pitch by a prospect in the other category as far as not a fastball or a breaking ball. So, you know, he's got those things together. He's got a pretty nice little cutter um, to mix into the mix. And then, yeah, he's he's worked on this kind of slur of this offseason, um, you know, putting putting to work a lot of the, the spin rate data um, and kind of like fashioning what looks to me like a spike curveball but he's kind of calling a slurve. So he's got that kind of coming into the mix as well um, with the advanced command. You know, Casey Mize is probably ready to pitch in the major leagues, you know, already and would be by the end of the year, I would assume, on a, on a better team. Um, the Tigers will take their time with them a little bit more than that. But um, he's, a, he's a major league ready prospect um, right now. And maybe the only downside to Casey Mize right now is that I'm not sure there's much more to get out of him. He's, he's pretty much the pitcher that you're hoping he's going to be right now. And that's you know, maybe a number two starter, but probably a number three. Friend of the show and former guest Chris Saunders, expert Yankee fan, loves to talk baseball, is here to tell us more about Reds prospect Taylor Trammell. Nick Sensel already made his debut. We'll get to him later in the countdown. But Trammell is a guy that could make a huge impact on this and maybe even speed up this Reds rebuild when he gets the time and when he does get up here after he progresses a little bit. But again, here's Chris Saunders, uh, Bristol Blues play-by-play announcer to tell you more about Taylor Trammell. Number two overall prospect in the Reds farm system, Taylor Trammell, hit 255, power 50, run 70, field 55, overall 60. The weakest tool for him is his arm. So if he can just improve a little bit and at least get to the average mark, you're talking about a guy who doesn't really have any weaknesses, draws a lot of walks, and, I mean, there's a reason why Georgia Tech was recruit, you know, recruiting him to play football and baseball at their college, you know, a multi-sport athlete in Georgia. Georgia has produced numerous talent, both in the football ranks and in the baseball ranks as well. And I can see why the Yankees wanted to acquire him when they were trying to, you know, get rid of, in a sense, Sonny Gray. So it would not shock me if he's up within the next year or two and he can play center, you can put him in the corners. Depending on how his power progresses right now, in 2018, he only had eight home runs. If he continues to stick at that eight home run clip, he's going to stay projected as a center fielder. But if he can be more of like a, even, even a, even a 15 to 20 home run guy in that ballpark, you should see his home run spike up. And I think he's perfect for left or right. Unorthodox, effective, phenom. Words that I could use to definitely describe McKenzie Gore, my favorite prospect on the entire list. You know, whether it's the high leg kick, whether it's the control, whether it's fighting through this blister issue that he had last year that James is going to go into more depth about. But Mackenzie Gore is my favorite prospect on the board. He's actually been my favorite prospect since he was drafted in 2017 at third overall by the Padres. This is a guy out of Whiteville, North Carolina, that has the lowest ERA in North Carolina history once it gets put in. A guy that feeling Hammonds... His high school pitching coach told us a story about the fact that he went over to their house and he heard this thumping upstairs and he couldn't figure out what it was. It was Mackenzie Gore upstairs trying to perfect his windup. I mean, this kid is a phenom. He's got the work ethic. He's got the work ethic and the attitude of Chris Paddock. This kid is going to be amazing, and I hope to see him in Double A Amarillo very, very soon. Here's James Clark, East Village Times, to tell you more about this young stud. All right, Jim Callis and Austin's favorite, Mackenzie Gore, had a definite down year last year there's a little bit of a blister issue with his finger uh it lingered throughout the se- throughout the season his era wasn't exactly where he'd like it to be wasn't exactly where the 
baseball operations and the team would like it to be. Uh, he did compile 60 innings last season in Fort Wayne, uh, made 16 starts for the Tin Caps, uh, struck out 74 in that time, walked 18. Uh, he was a little bit hit, hit, a little more hittable than they like, allowing 61 hits. Uh, again, it, it came down to the finger issue. I think that you'll see improved numbers from him this year. Uh, he's got excellent stuff. I mean, this this is a kid that has four plus pitches. Uh, a fastball that is in the 95, 96 mile per hour range tops out around there. Uh, plus curve that's just nasty. Uh, a hard breaking slider and, and a, um, probably unheralded change that might be one of his best pitches. So it, the floor on, on Mackenzie Gore is is pretty high. Uh, ceiling is 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 that of an ace. Uh, I, you hear the the Clayton Kershaw comps to him because of his nasty uh, left handed leg kick high leg kick that he has uh, at 19 years of age. He'll be 20 in a couple days. It's very exciting to see what he has with a full, full health under his, under himself in 2019. Uh, I would expect him to start in Lake Elsinore and probably make his way to double a, if he has uh, success in the California league. Mike Trout needs help in L.A., and Joe Adele will be here to help in just a few years, maybe even as early as next year. This is a guy that has all five tools. Like I just said, if you don't have all five tools, you're probably not in the top 20 at this point if you're a position player. You have to be able to do it all to be considered one of the best of the best, and you'll see that more and more as we get down. You know, you start questioning, how many tools does this guy really have? And that's what happens with Joe Adele. I mean, this guy's a spectacular fielder, takes good routes to the ball, Puts contact on the ball, you know, it has a little bit of pop, you know, they kind of hide sometimes. Not very big in frame-wise, but what he makes up for that is his speed and stealing bases. Jessica D-Line from Halos Heaven is here to talk to you more about Mike Trout's future outfield mate. I myself have been fortunate enough to see Adele firsthand when he was playing for Inland Empire. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to see too many at-bats since he was promoted rather quickly. But he has a presence on the field that just speaks of his maturity beyond his years. He won't even turn 19 years old until the start of this season. There's a reason Joe Adele is on the top of many prospect lists. An incredibly well-rounded talent in the Angels farm system of the likes they haven't really seen since, of course, Mike Trout. He really doesn't have a skill that he lacks in, including hitting for power, his speed, uh, his arm, fielding. And Adele is somebody who keeps getting stronger and has an incredible worth ethic and has worked really hard this offseason to make an impact in the big leagues sooner rather than later. Uh, Adele did strike out quite a bit last year at the AA level, so we'll look to improve on that this season. But he should definitely be an impact bat in the Angels lineup. If not by the end of this season, we will certainly see him in 2020. If you aren't excited for Joe Adele, you should be. He's coming, and he's coming quick. Outside of Vladimir Guerrero Jr., probably one of the most talented hitters that we've seen in a very long time. I mean, if you're sitting at 13 in this countdown and you're 17 years old, you have to be an absolute phenom. And that's the only word that I can use to describe Wander Franco. Wander Franco is going to be huge, huge for the Rays taking that next step in being championship contenders year in and year out. You know, they're always on the ledge, but they've never really had a superstar since, I mean, we we could go back as far as Evan Longoria. I mean, everybody loves Blake Snell, but Blake Snell's kind of fallen off a little bit. Longoria was the last true superstar along with David Price that they had. But Wander Franco has the ability to fill that void. He's going to fill that void once he gets up there. Remember, this kid's only 17 years old and putting up the numbers that he is and the hard contact that he is. So 
Here is Rylan Stiles from Raised Colored Glasses to tell you more about this 17-year-old phenom. Wander Franco, the shortstop, 17 years old. He is only 17 years old. He's only played 61 minor league games, and that was in 2018 where he hit for a 351 average, 418 on base. And I mentioned Honeywell having a lot of uh, anticipation on him by Rays fans, but this kid, this 17-year-old who's the nephew of Eric Ibar, has all the lights on him, all the eyes on him. His Even his winter ball tape has gone viral throughout the Rays. He has one of the prettiest swings you'll see by far the prettiest swing that the Rays have ever had if he and when he does get to Tampa Bay. This kid's going to be something to watch. Bill is back, ladies and gentlemen. Bill Morality from Athletics Farm is here to talk to us more about Jesus Lazardo, a guy who, of course, coming back from injury is a big blow to the Oakland A's organization as a whole, but Bill is going to tell us more about what makes Jesus Lazardo the number 12 prospect in all of baseball and kind of how he mixes his pitches. Bill does really well about going in-depth about these players, so I don't want to say too much to kind of take away from Bill's thunder. Here's Bill Moriarty from A's Farm. Tell you more. Left-hander Jesus Lazardo was the Nationals' third-round pick back in 2016, but unfortunately for Washington, they dealt him to the A's along with infield prospect Sheldon Noisy and all-star closer Blake Trinan in return for relievers Sean Doolittle and Ryan Madsen in what's looking like a real steal for the A's. Lazardo is currently the A's top pitching prospect, and Baseball America currently ranks him as the top left-handed pitching prospect in the entire game. And Lazardo is still just 21 years old. Lazardo's fastball touches the high 90s, and he also has an excellent changeup that he uses to really fool hitters. And he also has a solid curveball to go along with that. Now, the most impressive thing about Lazardo is his poise and maturity on the mound. And he also has excellent control and really has command of all his pitches. In his first full year of full season ball in 2018, Lozardo managed to blow through three levels of the minor league system. He was dominant at high A Stockton and double A Midland before making four starts at triple A in August. And speaking of control, last season Lozardo walked just 30 batters in his 23 starts. Now, the ace starting rotation isn't looking all that strong heading into 2019, so Lazardo is expected to compete for a spot in the rotation this spring. But with the A's recent signings of uh, starters Marco Estrada and Brett Anderson, it looks like the team is trying to buy Lazardo some time to gain a little more experience at AAA. Though even if he gets a couple of months into AAA to start the season, it's expected that Lazardo will make his debut in Oakland sometime this summer. And once he settles in at the big league level, Lazardo should become a dominant force atop the A's starting rotation for years to come. This won't be the first time, and this won't be the last time that you hear this name. Bo Bichette, this is a guy that, you know, when you look at the shortstop position, there's a reason that he's ahead of Franco. There's a reason that he's ahead of pretty much every shortstop prospect in baseball outside of, well, two that are in the top five. You know, when you have Royce Lewis obviously coming up, and then you have Fernando Tatis, who we all know is an absolute stud. But Bo Bichette is an absolute hitter. He's hit at every position, has a minor league batting title under his belt, which you're hear you're Ian Hunter say in just a second. But here's Ian Hunter to talk about the future of the shortstop position in Toronto and the future three pieces of an infield, considering Kevin Biggio, Bo Bichette, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. It's going to win a lot of games over the next few years starting around 2021. 
Finally cracking the top 10. We're in the top 10 of our top 50 prospects show. This is, of course, MLB Pipeline at the beginning of the year. So Chris Saunders is here to tell us more about about the future at second base for the Colorado Rockies after losing DJ LeMahieu in the offseason, who, of course, is apparently raking in New York because he cannot be stopped. You have Daniel Murphy there, but the future at second base, you know, the future of the right side of the infield really is Brendan Rodgers, and there's a reason that he's a top 10 pick. A top 10 prospect, and Chris Saunders is going to tell you more. Overall prospect in the Colorado Rockies farm system as well as the number three shortstop amongst the top 10 shortstop prospects in Major League Baseball, Brendan Rodgers. Hit tool 60, power 55, run is 50, arm 60, field 50, overall of 60. This is a player that was drafted in 2015. MLB Pipeline ranked him as the number one prospect during that time. He eventually was drafted number three overall. The players ahead of him, Dansby Swanson and Alex Bregman, both of whom play Major League Baseball right now and doing a fine job with their clubs, the Braves and the Astros. But Rodgers signed for 5.5 mil, and he earned every bit of it, especially in that first year between high class A and double A, batting 336 with 18 home runs and 89 games played. And, you know, position right now for the Rockies, shortstop is wide open for them. And, you know, they just re-signed Arenado to an eight-year deal for $260 million. Imagine the left side of the infield with Arenado at the hot corner and then Brendan Rodgers at shortstop. I mean, you look at the stats that he had between the two levels he played at last year, combined for 17 home runs, 67 RBIs. And while he struck out 92 times, only walked 31 the on-base percentage at 330 with a 268 average. You could say maybe he needs a little bit more seasoning, but it would not shock me if Brendan Rodgers is called up at the midway point and trying to continue the winning that the Rockies have had. They got a great young core with the pitching, and now with Arenado signed long-term, you got to think Rodgers, he's going to be coming up soon. All right, next guy we're going to talk about on the top 10, uh, Alex Kirloff. Um, Seth Stowes is here to talk about uh, Kirloff. Stuck in Double A right now, according to his, uh, according to MLB.com, his ETA is about 2020. Uh, pretty one of the better pure hitters um, right now in uh, the minors. Uh, so let's let's hear Sesto's talk more about him. Here I had is. a chance to uh, to meet him a year ago when he was on when he was out with Tommy John, um, and then I talked to him quite a bit this year at spring training as he was working his way back. And really just getting used to hitting again. And then I got down to Cedar Rapids and watched he and Lewis play uh, at the end of May. And I, I've i been making the trek to Fort Myers the last most of the last decade, most years, for a week or two. Um, I guess a week or ten days. Um, I've been to wherever the Twins' low, low A affiliate has been. It used to be in Beloit. Now they've been in Cedar Rapids the last six years. Alex Kirilov is the best pure hitter I've ever seen in, in the last 12 years. And it's a combination of just a great approach at the plate, an aggressiveness, an, a true understanding of situations, the ability to hit the ball to all fields, and his best power at this time is to the opposite field. He's hit home runs to left field. I think over half of his homers were to left field, and he had 20. Most of his doubles were to left field, and he's a left-handed hitter, and he led all of minor league baseball last year with 44 doubles. Um, he's just such a pure hitter, and, and it's it's hard to explain that in words, but if you watch him hit, you'll see it. Um, so that's why I think even with the missed year for Tommy John in 2017, 
he's got a chance to move up quick. If he starts in double A, if the Twins are in contention and they need an outfielder in the second half, I mean, I'd say, I'm not saying it's likely, but he's a guy that could come up and be a difference maker. So definitely one to watch in, in the second half or, or certainly into 2020. Probably the most misunderstood prospect and mistreated prospect in the entire top 50 list as a whole. Kyle Tucker still stuck in AAA. Astros will not allow him to play the outfield. I understand that with a George Springer injury, it should probably open up the door. But you bring up a guy like Miles Straw. Kyle Tucker is one of the best hitters in base in baseball right now. Triple A at least. I mean, he was he tore up triple A last year. Gets to the majors, struggles, small sample size. Can't judge him on that. Cody Pogue from Climbing Talis Hill and at Astro Stats on Twitter is going to tell you more about this misunderstood prospect. The other top prospect to discuss for the Astros is outfielder Kyle Tucker, who did make his major league debut last season during the summer, but unfortunately didn't didn't do a whole lot to impress and a lot of people were doubting his potential well into his offseason as you may know he was a considered a key trade candidate uh, for potentially JT Romuto which obviously didn't come to pass for Houston but Tucker still holds a lot of potential he's he's demonstrated his ability to hit in each step of the minors and even by with some uh, by some metrics and in the majors last season was actually just quite unlucky he hit the ball hard he just he hit the ball right at fielders he nothing just quite went right he just had a few bad breaks he but he has the potential to really be a force in the Astros lineup long term and I think a lot of people are anxious to see him get another chance uh, this season even if uh, he'll start the year out in AAA with the Round Rock Express due to the addition of Michael Brantley. All right, next up on the prospect uh, list, Forrest Whitley, uh, Astros prospect, drafted in 2016, um, currently injured, uh, expected to arrive in the majors this year, although he has had um, a rough AAA um, season. Um, Cody Pogue is here to talk more about him. Let's start with the Astros' number one prospect right now, which is a right-handed pitcher, Forrest Whitley. The young variety who spent the majority of last season either on suspension or dealing with injuries, pitched sparingly in 2018, but still showed a lot of the positive results that make him a, one of the top prospects in baseball. The Astros are hoping he can t- uh, uh, take over a similar role to David Price last year, you know, coming out of the bullpen and playing the season and the postseason, but unfortunately that never materialized. Going to the 2019, he has the opportunity to really make a name for himself uh, while he may start the year in Round Rock, the Astros' new AAA affiliate. Uh, everybody expects him to be up at some point this summer to compete for one of the starting roles. Uh, he's a pitcher who can reach up to the upper 90s on his fastball, features a nice 12-6 breaking curveball, and a few other secondary offerings that everybody seems to be enthused about if he can harness all this potential he has the potential to be one of the frontline starters in houston for the foreseeable future starting to get to guys that are already in the majors and nick senzel is no exception i mean the guy is just crushing the ball since coming up for the reds big big piece of this future along with taylor trammell who we talked about in the previous top 10 senzel can do it all i mean he can play any position on the infield that you ask him to and this is a guy that Cincinnati Reds fans are going to be very, very happy to see in the years to come. This is a guy that can do it all, and this is the future face of your franchise once the Votto era ends. And uh, here is Chris Saunders to talk more. Nick Senzel, hit tool 70. He hits 
everything that's thrown at him. The power is 55. The run is 55. The arm is 60. Field 60. Overall 60. Again, another perennial all-star. But the question is, where is he going to play? Third base, you have Suarez. Second base right now is Scooter Jeanette. He's another one that could play center field. The Reds have tried him in the corners. He hasn't worked out well. Played much better in center field, has the range, tracks the ball off the bat pretty well. But then you run to the question of who's going to play center, Trammell or Senzel? And then you might have second base open if the Reds do not sign Scooter Jeanette because he's a free agent after this year. So you could you know, potentially see a, an opening at second base. You could see Senzel there, Trammell at short, or not short, but you know, center field. But regardless, the number one and two overall prospects in the Reds' farm system, they rank amongst the best in Major League Baseball. Next up, Royce Lewis. Um, Pretty young kid, former number one overall pick in the 2017 draft. Uh, A lot of tools. Um, Pretty exciting for the Twins. Kind of came as a surprise to most Twins fans when they took him uh, back in 2017. But I think he's impressed most of uh, the Twins fan base. Not not expected to make it into the majors until about next year. So, um, but here is Seth Snows to talk more about Royce Lewis. You know, I did a story or an article in uh, probably July or August, kind of comparing his timeline with other top shortstop picks taken in the recent years: Carlos Correa and Francisco Lindor, and Lewis to this point is ahead of where those guys were at the same time. And I'm not saying he's going to be them or anything, because you never know. I mean, prospects and and player development is never a linear path. But profile-wise, I mean, he'll be able to hit. He's got a good hit tool. He's got a pretty good idea of the plate, the approach, a good approach. And he does have some good power potential, even though right now he's probably about 6'2", 190. He's got some room to grow. He's got great speed, athleticism, all of that. And I think he surprised a lot of people, and, and more people, I think, think that he can stay at shortstop, which was was a question mark when he was drafted. And I think he'll have to continue to make strides, but he can play short, and uh, he's got great range. And, and then the other part that he's got are some of those intangibles. I mean, you're talking about one of the really good people, great background, great charisma, He's the kind of guy that once he gets into the big league clubhouse, like Lindor, I think it won't take real long for him to become a leader type of player as well. So, I mean, it's everything you want in a prospect and and probably more. Victor Robles, Rookie of the Year candidate for the Washington Nationals. All the tools in the world. All the tools in the world. This is a guy that is going to steal bags at a massive rate once he gets comfortable enough at the big league level and on the base pass. This is a guy that people thought probably should have been called up last year. You know, when we talk about tools again, he has all of them. Maybe the power power is lacking a little bit when it comes down to it. Maybe he doesn't have the pop that Juan Soto had, or maybe he doesn't. I mean, nobody really has the pop that Bryce Harper had when he came up. But there's a lot of hype around this kid, and that hype kind of died down when Juan Soto had the start that he had last year, kind of jumping in prospect-wise. But Robles is a guy that's going to steal 30 bases, has the, a, an ability at the pace that he's going right now to possibly be a 2020 guy this year in his true rookie season and is actually on the ballot and possibly even be an all-star if he gets enough support from the fans. Like I said, rookie of the year candidate in a year where Pete Alonzo, Chris Paddock, Fernando Tatis, guys like that don't exist. Maybe he gets a look, but as of right now, Victor Robles is going to be huge for the Nationals rebuild 
I mean, if we want to even call it retool for years and years to come. Eloy Jimenez, um, a lot of pop in this guy's bat. Um, a lot of Chicago White Sox fans banking on his success. Uh, pretty exciting player. Um, has a lot of power. I've seen comparisons to, uh, you know, a lot of power hitters in the league like Stanton. You know, uh, a lot of pop in his bat. Doesn't do much in the field. Um, he was signed by the Cubs back in 2013. White Sox uh, gave him a contract right before this season. Um, actually uh, doing all right. Um, once he gets comfortable, I think he will be uh, a force on the White Sox team. And I think they can really uh, bank on this guy in the future. And once he gets comfortable, uh, the MLB should watch out. Our boy White Sox Dave is going to talk more on Eloy Jimenez. Eloy Jimenez. Kid has just light tower power. You've all seen the video of him going uh, the natural in the All-Star Game Home Run Derby a couple years ago. He's 6'4", like 215, 220. Uh, and then he he hits. He hits and hits and hits. He's not, you know, all or nothing guy. He should be, at best, a 35, 40 home run guy that hits 330 and gets on base at a 400 clip. Average defense, but when he's playing in left field, who cares? And uh, he could be a 10-time All-Star future Hall of Famer. He's that good. So uh, that's it for me. That's it for the White Sox. We will catch you guys in the World Series in 2020. Rookie of the year? I mean, maybe we talked about Chris Paddock in the 20s, or maybe it was the 30s when it came to it comes to Paddock about, you know, in terms of they have the attitude. Fernando Tatis got an injury, but prior to the injury was probably one of the best players in baseball at the time. I mean, he was hitting 300 by the time he got injured. He was starting to get in the rhythm of things. He was looking good at short, making Machado-like throws at short with Machado standing next to him. Having a mentor like that is going to help Fernando Tatis a lot, but you can't teach a lot of these tools. I mean, a lot of this, I mean, this is a big kid. He's got the frame for power. He has the power, but he's going to hit for average too. Fernando Tatis just does it all, and James Clark from East Village Times is here to tell you more about this absolute phenom. Fernando Tatis Jr. is considered uh, by most Padre fans as the Messiah. He is the second coming of Christ, if you will, for Padre fans. Uh, if you, if I had a comp on Fernando Tatis Jr., I would definitely throw his new teammate, Manny Machado, uh, as far as a comp. Uh, at 20 years of age, Tatis has shown excellent skills all around the field. He has excellent power uh, to all sides, uh, ability to barrel up baseballs considerably. There's a little bit of a hit and miss, uh, a little bit of swing and miss with his swing, with his uh, approach, but that's nothing to be too co- too concerned about. He struggled a little bit walking last season in Double A, uh, only recording 33 walks in 353 at bats. But I would expect that uh, once he refines his approach a little more he's going to be a solid uh, contributor all around uh defensively there had been some concerns about him whether or not he was going to be able to stick as short uh he's taken that to heart and really improved his defensive game the range is there the arm is solid uh he's turned himself into a pretty respectable defender i would have no problem in thinking that he should be able to stick there for the next uh 10 years for the padres uh, i know that that's their long-term uh goal is to have him at shortstop for the team uh at six foot three 185 pounds and just turned 20 years of age there is still room for him to grow a little bit i would expect the power to get to come in time uh he's already has a very powerful bat already a, i believe a 60 uh ranking on his bat but it, it's going to be it's going to be exciting to see him and Manny Machado on the left side of the infield for the Padres. Number one, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Oh, my Lord. My favorite 
prospect in the league right now is Vladdy Guerrero. There hasn't been a guy in the last, I don't know, my whole life where I have to be in front of the TV for his at-bats. He has so much power, has one of the highest ceilings in the league right now. I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to watch Vladdy Guerrero now in the MLB. The Blue Jays finally called him up. So I was so happy when that happened. Um, he can, he's he has a chance of becoming one of the best hitters uh, in the league if he can just you know get once he gets comfortable and starts just mashing. Uh, I think he will be one of the better hitters in the league. Um, just an explosive swing. There's not many swings out there like it. It's one of the prettiest swings. Sounds the best. Um, just absolute unit as well so if he gets a hold of one it's going a mile so um but ian hunter from the daily hive is here to talk more about my favorite prospect i don't think we've ever seen this much hype surrounding a baseball prospect ever um vladimir guerrero jr is an extremely unique talent almost universally everybody has him as the number one prospect in all of baseball. If he doesn't win rookie of the year this year, I think a lot of people will be shocked. And the thing about where the Blue Jays are in kind of the midst of their rebuild is that Vladimir Guerrero Jr., I could foresee him hitting in the middle of this order, um, you know, maybe come June or July, if the Blue Jays do in fact call him up in mid-April. He's that much of an impact bat. And so the Blue Jays essentially just added, you know, like I think he's projected to have like a four a four win season for a rookie, which is unprecedented. And it's got a lot of people in Toronto excited because him uh, along with Bo Bichette are going to form the cornerstones of this Toronto Blue Jays franchise for the next five to six years, potentially even longer. Uh, if the Blue Jays can extend them. And it's going to be incredibly exciting to see what Vladimir Guerrero Jr. can do because he demolished the minor leagues the last two years. The Blue Jays could have made a case that they actually could have brought him up last year, but uh, due to service time restrictions, they're opting to keep him down in the minor leagues. 